Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. It's back to the grindstone, and I'm back in the saddle. So welcome back to Backlick Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe, that's Z-O or Z-O, if you're outside of the U.S., and we're taking a look back at the movies of yesteryear. It's the 113th episode. Thank you for downloading and streaming. We really appreciate it. Me and my son, Zach, watched movies that I loved when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and the 90s. Movies Zach had never seen before, and I'll tell you what he loved about them, and I'll bring you that sweet, juicy trivia. Well, I normally tell you what Zach thinks about the movie, but it's not going to happen this time. Since our schedules didn't match up, we did not watch this movie together. But fear not, I'm definitely going to rewatch this movie with him because we already watched the sequel to this movie, so it's only right that we watch the original. But before we get into the movie, if you like what we're about to hear, then tell your neighbors, tell your siblings, tell your parents, tell your cousins, tell that local fugitive on a run from the law that you listen to Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Now, unfortunately, our show with John DeGregario will have to be postponed to a later date. But worry not. For right now, I have someone special for you, a special guest, as it were. This special guest is... Well, let me tell you about this special guest. If you think that you're a Star Wars fan, but then you want to test your love for for Star Wars against this guy. Star Wars and all things sci-fi. This guy is the host of the Scarf Scuttlebutt and proud member of the Red 5 Network. (laughs) And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, and gender non-conforming, May I present to you the brilliant nerd among nerds, Roe of the wow. Scarab's Got Butt Podcast. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you very much. And I, I feel um I feel honored uh to to be here and uh we're gonna have fun with this. Uh Zoe and Roe. Yes, <laughs> I had not thought of that. <laughs> yeah, we're absolutely. separated by one letter. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So how are you doing today? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Uh, was doing some traveling. I just, uh, I, I just uh, got off of work and uh, back home. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a busy uh, last eighteen hours. Yeah, and following your Twitter account, you really do get around. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm all. I'm. I'm. A, I'm like a bad penny. I'm always turning up somewhere. Right. Right. That. Well, you know, it's it's always. Good to be somewhere <laughs> than not being able to go nowhere at all. Exactly, exactly. So uh, listening to your show and given the title of your show, some someone with who will scrutinize the title, they will know that you are an enormous Star Wars fan. I would hope so. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, uh, my uh, co-host, the original co-host uh, and I, met on twitter we met online back in 20 like 2018 2019 and uh you know uh mom always says not to meet strangers on the internet but forget that man i I, i've met a lot of people on the internet um and started shows with them started networks with them um so uh yeah so my my the original co-host of the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast, brad and i we started talking about jfk conspiracies on 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 twitter and that grew into conversations, obviously, about other things that we loved. 
we uh, we happened to find out that we were both Star Wars fans. We loved Star Wars. And our birthdays are actually like a day apart. So we were both uh, kind of comparing notes and uh, realized that uh, it would would have been cool to start a Star Wars podcast uh, together. Um, back in 2019, uh, we were um, I was lucky enough to have Star Wars Celebration hit Chicago, which is the city that uh, that I live in. And uh, I just took a recorder. Uh, went out to Star Wars Celebration Chicago and started interviewing people, you know, asking them, you know, what they like, uh, you know, what are they what are they doing here in Chicago and, and what kind of Star Wars experience uh, they grew up with. And that kind of stemmed out and uh, we started a show. Wow, that's an amazing story. It's great when you can find somebody that you can share your passions with. And it's also great that you know, it, it, well, I was just thinking as you were speaking that like JFK conspiracies is a great way to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to link with somebody and to bond over. It, it's and, an uh, icebreaker. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> so um, I was thinking about uh, your love for Star Wars. So this suggests that you love other sci-fi. Now I was going back and forth with you on Twitter and you had because you had mentioned Buck Rogers and yes. it's like. When you talked about Buck Rogers, it just generated some feelings in me. I was like, man, I got to watch uh, Buck cool. Rogers again. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because I was on another show. Um, uh, the um, oh God, what, what's the name? It's so they coined a science fiction hashtag. Um, it's uh, the guys at the science fiction remnant. They did a show on Buck Rogers, and I was on the show. I was a guest, and we started talking about Buck Rogers, obviously, in the 25th century, the show, the 70s show from uh, television. And I got so into it that I wanted to have a show on, on my show about Buck Rogers. So I, uh, I took one of my Patreon's uh, supporters, and uh, she's really into uh, science fiction television of the 70s and 80s. We did a show about the black hole, which was kind of uh, a lot of fun. Um, and uh, we really dove into uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So um, we had a lot of fun with that one. Again, just, um, you know, we're, we're fans of uh, not only, you know, science fiction, but uh, a whole bunch of other, you know, geeky stuff. We have fun talking about that. We did one with um, with another uh, supporter on uh, the original Battlestar Galactica from 1978, which is a lot of fun to kind of rewatch. Um, and then just kind of, uh, you know, we were comparing the two, the the new Battlestar with the old. I'd rather, you know, I, I prefer the older uh, Battlestar Galactica. I, I really, I tried to watch the new, the new stuff, but um, I think they changed too much for me. Uh, I seem to be a, a bit of a purist on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched uh, both of those. About, oh, hold on. I, I I just noticed that I muted myself. You are muted because uh, where is it? Come on, there we go. Yeah, I just noticed I muted myself because <laughs> I thought I was going to cough. They're like, I don't want to get this recorded, so I muted it. And so, um, what you call it? And then I forgot to unmute, obviously. So, <laughs> and now I'm sucking on a lozenge. Hopefully, to make sure I don't cough. But I think I heard the uh the Buck Rogers podcast, because you had mentioned uh, that you talked about the first season and didn't talk much about the second season. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you know why <laughs> I know exactly why. And it, the funny thing about that is I had read some uh, behind the scenes about why the second season turned out that way. And um, it has, uh, 
It's pretty bad. It, it's like it, it was a bad decision and it got worse as it went along. But I did like Hawk. I, I That was my favorite yeah. character in the second season. Like, I think yeah. I liked him more than I liked Buck himself. Yeah, and I just did a... Re- I just did a rewatch of uh, the first two episodes of Buck Rogers. Like, whoa, it's it's way different than I. Re- well, see, Mike, I'm mature now. I'm mature, so like when I watch it now, watching the first two episodes raises a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it, you know what? Though it's it's, it's a lot of fun to rewatch because you know before uh, I did the 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 our show. I mean, I, I I went ahead and I rewatched like the first couple of episodes. And, um, there's, you know, there's certain aspects of those TV shows that I, that I remember fondly, but there's other stuff that I forget. Um, like I forgot that it was a movie first, just like Battlestar Galactica. I actually saw that in the theater, the, 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 uh, pilot Battlestar Galactica. And as much as a fan of star Wars as I am, um, the experience for me in the movie theater for, for, um, Battlestar Galactica was one of the best in my, in my younger years. Um, and I said it on the pod, I said, uh, it, it's because I think the projectionist had the volume up so high that when the colonial <laughs> vipers launched from the Galactica, the seats rumbled and it really brought you into that world, uh, into that space. And I, I was exhilarated as uh, you know, as an eight, nine year old kid. It was it was awesome. <laughs> so it was your movie was 4D before 4D yes, was the real thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um yeah. The, uh I remember that they had premiered in movies. They they were always meant to be TV shows, which was funny. Like they were always like both of those were made as TV movies, but the producers looked at it and it was like, you know what, let's release this in theaters. Because when you look yeah. at Buck Rogers, like there's, I can't believe that releases in theaters because the special effects and the story, the story looked like it was first draft. Like it was like, why is Wilma <laughs> already falling in love with somebody who she thinks is a spy? It's like somebody explain this to me. But yeah. I remember it's uh, it's the seventies, it, man. It, well, if you look at it through the lens of a Saturday morning cartoon, it all sure. makes sense because that's right. the story that I would expect from a cartoon in the seventies. <laughs> exactly. Even even uh. Like a regular 70s show, I don't think uh I don't think it would jump to that conclusion. I guess like we're like, we only have an hour and a half, guys. We gotta we right. gotta put this in there. <laughs> yeah, it's too funny. Too funny. Right. But yeah, I mean, doing the rewatch of all those shows, it's uh it's interesting to kind of uh you know recall some of the memories that you had, uh maybe some of the things that might have changed now, like you said, because we're just more mature. Um, but um, yeah, you know. Taking a look at Princess Ardala again, you know, brought back some other kind of memories, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, she's she's also one of my favorites. What I liked about this is that even though I thought Wilma Deering, she was she was coming on way too strong for Buck Rogers for it to make any kind of sense. The princess <laughs> was perfect. Like she did exactly what she was supposed to do. Like, sure. <laughs> like I didn't yeah. mind her being because like I, f- I, f- I felt that that was her character and that she was in sure. character and everything that she did was appropriate. Yeah. And I also liked uh, most of the other characters. I, I love the introduce the introduction of Twiggy and and yeah. uh, Doctor Theopolis and, and all of those right. characters. So it was it was a <laughs> it was a blast rewatching those. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to see the remake. Uh, if they would, <laughs> uh, I want to see what it looks like with uh, not necessarily modern special effects or modern sure. chip design, but with like modern fight choreography, sure. <laughs> yeah. something like that, and. Uh, 
uh, more realistic dialogue or something like that. Yeah. But um, we'll see, we'll see we'll see when that happens. Yeah. Looking forward to it as well. Absolutely. So besides um, besides science fiction, what are the other type of movies that you like? Well, you know, I'm um, I love superhero movies, uh, science fiction, fantasy, uh, a little Lord of the Rings, um, just really everything that uh, that all the the geeks and nerds are talking about. But you know, I, I'm also uh, into uh, you know crime dramas and um, uh, documentaries. I love watching documentaries. Um, I'm, I'm I just finished uh, the documentary on Netflix uh, on Waco the uh, whole situation that happened in Waco, Texas with the Branch Davidians, fascinating stuff. But uh, my wife and I really love crime. Mm-hmm. So we, we watch a lot of uh, 2020 and 48 hours and, and Dateline, um, all that stuff. Yeah, that's all good television. So you mentioned the Waco show. Was that, um, was that the same one with uh, General Zod? Is that the same one? No, this is actually a documentary, not a drama. Yeah, because there's one with... Uh, I can't remember his name, but he played General yeah. Zod. <laughs> right. I didn't realize that those were, they had like two shows uh, regarding yeah. Waco. I think yeah. I remember something like that, like in, like right around the time that Waco happened, there was like a TV movie that I think right. I watched some of. So Waco mm-hmm. has been a, a fascinating subject for television, television yeah. for a long time. Yeah, I was like, I remember growing up and watching that happen on television. It was crazy. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, same thing. So, um, uh, I also like, like you said, true crime and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I used to watch, like, uh, we did, I'm trying to think of the name of, uh, we did airplane. So an airplane, they they had the host of that, uh, unsolved mysteries, Robert Stack. Yes. So, and Robert Stack basically played off his super serious characterization of like, (laughs) like anybody. Right. (laughs) Right. And And they use that for comic effect. But yeah, I used to, I used to love that show. I, I used to watch CNN headline news back when they just played the same news over and over again. Yeah. I could watch that for like two hours. <laughs> it's like <laughs> wow, the same stories like every half hour. Um, that yeah. that might be indicative of a mental condition. <laughs> but uh, I don't do that no more. So, anyways, <laughs> I, good to I'm, know. Good to know. Right, right. I'm over it. So, um. Thanks again for joining us over here at Backlick Summer. I really appreciate you being here. And I want to ask you to uh, plug your show, man. Tell, tell us where our audience can find you. Tell us where uh, the, the podcast that you host and tell us about the Red 5 Network. Sure. So, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about, you know, b- before we started the show, we were talking about uh, technology. So the cool thing about uh, technology nowadays, if you have a smart speaker in your home uh, or, or office, just uh, tell the smart speaker to to play the latest Scare of Scuttlebutt podcast, and it'll find it for you. Um, but we are available wherever you get your other favorite podcasts on all the podcast players. Uh, Scare of podcast. Uh, just look for us by name. And, uh, you know, we just talk about, we, we deep dive, we talk about all the cool stuff. You know, we do, sometimes we'll do some, you know, some um, episode reviews of whatever is happening uh, you know, usually Star Wars related, uh, but from time to time we'll do, you know, we did uh, when Willow first came out, we did a review on Willow, uh, Mandalorian, Andor, uh, Book of Boba Fett, you know, all, all that stuff. So uh, from time to time, we'll, um, you know, we'll hop on StreamYard and do our show live Saturdays at 7 p.m. Central Time. 
Um, not going to do one today because uh, there's just too much going on. But um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the Red 5 Network is comprised of uh, about 37 uh, content creators, both YouTube and audio only. But uh, just a, a bunch of great uh, content creators uh, producing, you know, shows that uh, – that are reviews or, you know, discussions, deep dives, uh, analytical, uh, just, uh, you know, the, the way that nerds used to talk at recess about their favorite stuff. And, uh, that is the red five network, but you can find the, you know, a show for you at bio.link slash red five. And, uh, you know, I, uh, encourage you to kind of, uh, look through that and, uh, see what you can find. Yes, I, I perused the Red 5 Network. I went there and I was like, whoa, there's like choke networks here. <laughs> <laughs> choke as the Hawaiian term for lots and lots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lots um, and lots and lots. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's an amazing accomplishment in a fantastic community that you've been able to join. And I really appreciate something like that. So I, I have like a tiny community. I'm not like officially connected like the red five network but there are a number of podcasts that um that i've joined their community and it's just great to find uh you know like minds that you can just sure tweet to somebody and and uh, yeah. I, would, I just uh sent the email to um i have uh some friends over at the not a bomb not a bomb bob <laughs> i'm saying it wrong not a bomb <laughs> podcast that's what i was trying to okay. get okay <laughs> and what they do is they look at movies that have bombed at the box office and see if they deserve to be bombs. And I just, I, while I was doing the research for this podcast, I ran across a movie that the same director directed. And um, that was the last movie that that director had directed, the last feature film. And it was uh, The Guardians. And I was like, oh, that, that would explain why it was the last one because it, it bombed so hard. And I was like, and so I sent the email to them. I was like, take a look at this one. Take a look at the Guardian. <laughs> that's too funny. So, uh, yeah, that is, that's, um, so I, I enjoy being a part of, of that community. Yeah. It's a lot of fun when you interact with, uh, like you said, like-minded accounts. Um, and then just, you know, just geeking out and telling everybody what you love and discussing it. It's, uh, like I said, it's, it's like when, uh, you know, you, uh, hung out with your friends talking about the movies, uh, at recess. So it's a lot of fun. All right. So now that we have talked and we have gotten to know each other, let us transition over to the movie that we had watched. So, uh, we're going to transition to a segment that I like to call the opening credits. And at the opening credits, we're going to talk about the, the movie, the, the stars in the movie, the director, and so on and so forth. So, um, the movie that we had talked about is The Fugitive, or we're about to talk about. See, my language is all messed up. The movie that we watched that we're going to talk about is The Fugitive. So, dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> in a story that is possibly inspired by the true life murder of the wife of Dr. Sam Shepard in the 1950s, this story follows the escape and pursuit of Dr. Richard Kimball, who, like Shepard, was accused of murdering his wife. With all evidence pointing to Kimball, Kimball is determined to find the real murderer. Kimball is effectively evading law enforcement, but there is one officer who is on hot on Kimball's trail 
an indefatigable deputy U.S. Marshal who will use all of the resources at his command to recapture this escaped convict. Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard is determined to get his man. Did I say that right? Is it Gerard or Gerard? You know what? I think it's Gerard. Maybe, like <laughs> Gil Gerard? Yeah, you know what? Talk, I think talk, you're talk right. About <laughs> <laughs> Released August 30th, 1993, produced by Warner Brothers and Copelson Entertainment. It grossed over $183 million in the U.S. and Canada and over $368 million worldwide on a $44 million budget. And it had rave reviews. You know what? I think I would call that a hit. I think that's a hit yeah. movie. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. They did uh they did a fantastic job. I remember I think I watched this in theaters. I'm like, when did this come out again? It came out night yeah, I'm 90% sure I watched this in theaters, probably because it was like Harrison Ford. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Exactly. Yeah. So you know it's funny, he he definitely has that actor definitely has that that power you just say his name and people are like oh well when are we going right 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 we just skip over the fact that he has two last names (laughs) (laughs) right so uh tell us about who starred in this movie let's let's start with the the top billing actor yeah absolutely harrison ford uh the uh title character dr richard kimball um you know He's one of my favorite actors, and obviously um, you're going to say, well, he was in Star Wars. Of course he is. But other than that, you know, uh, another one of my favorite franchises is uh, Indiana Jones, the Indiana Jones franchise. So obviously him being in, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark as Indiana Jones, um, he's got such a charisma to him. And I think that is uh, pretty much the the essence of his staying power. Um you know, I have a, an actor friend who, who Harrison Ford is his favorite actor as well. And he's just got he's got like this this um, this uh, manly charisma. He used the term, but I forgot what it was. It, it's. Um, oh, man, I forgot. I, I'll, I'll think of it later. But um, yeah, it, it's just something about Harrison Ford that just really, uh, you know, it, it opens everybody's eyes. And he's uh, he's a big draw to both men and women, obviously women, because. Uh, you know, people, they say he's dreamy, whatever that means. <laughs> we know <laughs> what ab- mean. We know yeah, what they we mean. Know, we know, we know. <laughs> but uh, no jealousy here. But yeah, absolutely. Right. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is a, a great actor, uh, you know, having come up from, um, you know, his days, his early days of uh, American Graffiti with uh, George Lucas. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the role that uh, that made him uh, put his name on the map. But absolutely, I think Harrison Ford is uh, one of the reasons that uh, this movie works so well. And um, he is uh, also from Chicago, and the um, the movie was set in Chicago. So uh, kudos all around there. Absolutely. He's also going to be in The Thunderbolts later on. Yes. It was announced that he's been uh, cast as General Thunderbolt Ross, replacing, yes. um, what's his name? I can't remember already. I forgot who was who was the last actor that played Thunderbolt Ross. He was in um, uh, Lost in Space. Lost in he Space. Was, That's the thing that yeah. William Hurt. William Hurt. Right. Go. Right. So Harrison Ford will be the third actor to play Thunderbolt Ross. So this is going to yeah. be interesting. Up next is Tommy Lee Jones, another one of my favorite actors. He plays Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard. He's also been in No Country for Old Men, 
Men in Black and Lincoln. I, d- I didn't know he was in Lincoln, and I didn't see Lincoln, which is why I don't remember him being in Lincoln. But he's been in a lot of my favorite movies, and he's just Absolutely. he's just fun when he talks, right? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of yeah. why. He even makes like U.S. Marshals wasn't a great movie, which is the sequel to this one, and we had did right. that movie earlier. But he makes that movie watchable. Like I'm gonna just watch this movie just so I can see him talk. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, again, another powerhouse uh, actor, Tommy Lee Jones has been around for a really long time, and uh, he's um, you know he's actually he's pretty damn good in everything he's in. You know, some of the movies may not be great, but he's he's good in them. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. He definitely knows how to do his job. <laughs> yes. The I guess the 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 spouse of Dr. Richard Kimball who is uh, killed, um Celia Ward, and I got to say, man, she has she was one of my first like celebrity crushes. <laughs> I um uh, my wife used to watch this show called Sisters and she was on that show and um I watched it too. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but Celia Ward uh plays Helen Kimball. She was in Gone Girl, My Fellow Americans, Independence Day, Resurgence. I didn't see that one, but uh, because she's in it, maybe I'll maybe I'll find it. Apparently, no one should see that one. I <laughs> right. Exactly. I should have. I should have put it. Like in, in, uh she hasn't been in a lot of movies. I try to focus on the movies that people have starred in. So she hasn't been like in a lot of uh, prominent roles in a lot of recent movies. Like there's one movie where she's just like the pretty girl. I, was like, I can't put that in one of the movies she's featured, and nobody will remember from that unless it was like a cameo or something. But um, I almost put unfortunately. Independence Day resurgent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So up next, uh, it's just kind of surprising is Julianne Moore. She played Dr. Anne Eastman. She's also been in Boogie Nights, Far From Heaven, and The Kids Are All Right. She's a great actor. And yeah. we'll get into why uh, she spent so little time in this movie. Because when I saw her name in the credits, I was like, okay, well, I don't remember her being Dr. Kimball's wife because that's what I suspected she was playing, but she's right. not. She's another doctor, a friend of Dr. Kimball, and she's not in the movie a whole lot. So we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. we uh, When we go back and review movies, especially movies, um, you know, kind of in the 90s and stuff, that you said this movie was came out in 1993, we see all these actor names, and like now they're like super popular Back then, they might not have been, and that might explain Julianne Moore's, uh, you know, lack of screen time. But, you know, again, just going back to seeing some of these older movies, you see a lot of actors in them, and you're like, oh, my God, he looks so young. And, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, a lot of these actors are, are, um, are, you know, not that they're getting started. You know, this might not be their first movie, but they're it's pretty earlier in their career. Um, and it is kind of surprising when they're like, oh, my God, Julian Moore's in it. Why isn't she in more of it? Right, but right, right. It, it's it's because, you know, they're just kind of starting out. Um, but someone, I guess, that is not just uh, starting out and he is uh, another actor that's in here is Joe Pantoliano. Uh, a lot of people call him Joey Pants. and um you know him from the matrix uh obviously his role in that but uh memento and bad boys uh you uh, cosmo renfro which i'm not familiar with 
but uh joey pants yeah he's a, a wonderful character actor that is in a lot of stuff if you kind of google his name um sometimes some of these actors like you you you, uh, you don't remember that he's in it but then they're everywhere right and he is one of those types of actors yeah he's definitely in a lot of stuff and when i saw uh when i saw his name in the credits his the, his image immediately popped into my head and then when he appears on screen i was like oh my god it's joe with hair <laughs> exactly I'm, yeah. I'm so used to seeing him like balding like having right. almost no hair and um and here he is like young and exciting and uh in in uh, basically a kind of action feature so it's always yeah. good to see joe and uh Absolutely. up next is andreas katsulas uh he's he plays Frederick Sykes. He's been in Hot Park. <laughs> Let me see if I can read this. Hot Shots Park D, Babylon 5 <laughs> as Gakar, yes. and Star Trek The Next Generation as Commander Tomalock. When he yes. appeared on screen, when he appeared on screen, I was like, it's Commander Tomalock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and he's um he's a very imposing actor. I think he's one of those uh actors that uh sometimes he he gets um, typecast as uh, the bad guy, um, but uh, absolutely, he's a uh, you know big, powerful guy. Yeah, and, he's uh, yeah, he's gigantic, and he has a face like he has he has a bad guy face. It's not he's not going to run away from that. <laughs> I mean, if he was a short guy, a shorter guy, then maybe he would have different roles. But he's taller than Harrison Ford. And I think Harrison Ford is like 6'1". So it's yeah. like he's just towering over Harrison Ford with the big bad guy face. So uh, I think I think he's not going to run away from that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No. But uh, yeah. Um, and it's funny, you know, he's one of those actors that when you when you see his name, you might not know what he looks like, but you you recognize his name because he's also, you know, is he's up there. Yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't hide his 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 face was actually well hidden in uh in Babylon 5, but mm. it was much less makeup in Star Trek because it's just the forehead and the wig. So his face is instantly recognizable. So whenever he showed up on Star Trek as uh, Commander Tomalak, it, it gets exciting automatically. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, funny. go ahead, get the next one. So uh, some of these um, later names, uh, I, I'm going to have to Google them because I don't recognize the names just by reading them. But you've got, uh, and let's see if I pronounce it right, uh, Jerome Crab. Good enough. Dr. Char- <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, Dr. Charles Nichols. He was uh, in the living daylights, the Punisher 1989 version and left luggage. Yeah. Um, I, he was in another movie that I, I'm pretty sure I did a movie that he was starring in and I was concerned about getting to pronunciation right of his name. So I, I looked up the pronunciation, but I didn't have time to do that this time. So we just kind of go with our gut with what his name is pronounced. <laughs> what it's pronounced yeah. like. <laughs> but so uh funny. You... I'm 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 looking at uh I'm looking at his picture and um yeah, I don't remember what he played uh now in the movie, but um... he was he was the um he was Nichols' friend. I mean not Nichols, uh he was <laughs> that's his Nichols is him. He was <laughs> Richard Kimball's <laughs> friend. So when uh, Kimball was on a run, right, yeah. right, and the first person he ran into that was a friend, that was uh, the doctor, Dr. Nichols, and he stopped him in his car and got some cash from him. And then uh, we'll talk about 
what what happened with Dr. Nichols later on. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I just Googled his name and there are current pictures of, of him, of the actor. And th- this is the reason that I don't recognize him because when he was in the movie in 1993, he had no gray hair and he was a lot younger. So that's, that's one of the reasons I don't recognize him. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, I, I guess we'll get into it, but yeah, he was, he was the main, um, you know, antagonist, uh, basically of, uh, of the fugitive. Right. Inter- right. So interesting how we change as we get older. <laughs> and up next is Daniel Roebuck. He played Biggs. He's been in getting grace, final destination, star Wars, Jedi. Well, star Wars, Jedi fallen order. I'm, I, I flubbed it. I flubbed it. That's all right. But he'll be in a sequel. <laughs> He's going to be in a sequel of that game. And in, oh, nice. in that game, he voiced G's Dietrich. Nice. Have you played that game before? Uh, yes. And I did not know that he was uh, Grease. No, I didn't know either. I only found yeah. out. That's why I put it in here. As a matter of... And so you know who that character is. Yeah. Okay. So for, for those of you who had not played a game, Grease is the alien pilot of the shuttlecraft that the main hero... Well, it's not a shuttlecraft, it's a spaceship that the main hero uh, travels in in the game. It's a fun game if you're a gamer. It's one of the best games out there. Uh, I hear the sequel is going to be Bananas, and I'm looking forward to it, although I'm stuck right now in a backlog of games, so I might never get to it. So (laughs) (laughs) That's tragic. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Up next is L. Scott Cowley. Oh, I'm choking on this name. Elle Scott Caldwell. I got it. I got it in a second go. She played Poole, and she's been in The Net, Lost, and The Secret Love of the American Teenager. The last two I read were TV shows, and that's where most people will probably remember her from. So, because she she's basically a TV actor. Her IMDb is just filled with TV credits. So you, you yeah, won't I- see her in a lot of movies. I thought I remember her from um, a lot of those L.A. law shows. Probably. Yeah. I, um, I don't I didn't see her. I, I, I didn't I, look for uh, L.A. law, but yeah. she's definitely but in I a think, lot of TV uh, shows. I think everybody was in L.A. L.A. law yeah. at, at some point or another. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> at <laughs> so, least as a dead body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But she's a. Uh, you know, some actors are are fine with television, and I think uh, L. Scott Caldwell is uh, is someone that is uh, she's wonderful. Um, absolutely, you know, whatever you know, she always brings her A game to to all the the roles. So I I, I enjoy her performance in in uh, almost everything she's in. Right, right. As far as being a, a TV actor, good work is where you find it. It's a that lot exactly. It's a lot less. Uh, there's less of a division now between movies and TV than it was when we were growing up. So now yeah. we have like Harrison Ford is in the TV show. We have uh, uh, what's his name? I just mentioned him. Um, the dude that was in Waterworld. That dude. He's he's in a TV show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very yes. much. <laughs> so it's like people are, and then you see people from TV and they transition to movies. So it's it's very fluid now. Yeah. And now, you know, the, the lines are starting to blur because, uh, you know, television, uh, television production has changed so much. It's uh, the, the line between production of film and television are, 
um, it's they almost run concurrently. So uh, the process is a lot similar. Um, so yeah, things are changing for actors and uh, and the uh, the media of uh, of television. Yeah. Per se. I mean, look at the look at some of the TV shows. Look at some of the science fiction television shows that are streaming now that are not on the big screen. Um, when the um, when the reboot of uh, Lost in Space came out on Netflix, uh, you know, I watched it. I watched the entire two se- seasons with my son, and that show kind of blew me away because they were like mini movies, but on the small screen. Yeah, and I was um, I was so uh, pleasantly surprised that uh, so much um, work and effort um, you know went into producing Lost in Space uh, for the small screen. It was it was an amazing undertaking. I loved it. Right, or like uh, Lord of the Rings. I think it had for the first yeah. season is a one billion dollar budget. Like so, yeah. they're not they're not skipping. Or even The Last of Us. I don't know what its budget is, but its production yeah. quality is outstanding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. they're they're definitely doing the work. The lines are definitely blurred, as you said. Yeah. So um, so uh, next on the roster, we got Ron Dean. He plays a uh, Chicago police uh, officer, Detective Kelly. It's funny because um, I don't know who cast this movie, but Ron Dean as a police officer for Chicago is spot on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think very, he, very, very gruff, very, you know, no nonsense. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I think you he's don't mess- always playing a police officer. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, he's also been in uh, The Breakfast Club, The Dark Knight, and Above the Law. I don't know what parts that he played in those movies, but I, I, I'm pretty sure he's been, he's a police officer in each of those movies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if he's not a police officer in The Breakfast Club, then he's probably the principal. And the last one we have on the list is Tom Wood. He played Newman. He's been in Under Siege, U.S. Marshals, and Apollo 13. We just did Apollo 13 last week. A great, a great epic and a great space adventure, a real life space adventure that actually happened. <laughs> yes. And uh, a couple of years ago, we did a, um, uh, my company did a documentary on uh, Captain James Lovell, and I got to sit with him and talk to him about uh, space stuff. And it was really exhilarating for me because um, I met a real Skywalker. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome yeah that that's gotta be awesome yeah so that's it for the actors why don't you tell us about who directed this movie sure 1993 the fugitive directed by andrew davis and uh some of the other movies that he directed uh holes under siege the guardian and chain reaction and i think chain reaction is also set in chicago if i'm not mistaken so uh mr davis seems to have an affinity for the windy city Probably. Probably so. Uh, I don't remember much about Chain Reaction, except I think it starred Keanu Reeves. Yes. Yeah, Keanu Reeves yeah. and... Um, Sandra Bullock? I don't remember no. Sandra Bullock, but I think there's there's yeah. an older guy with a high-quality voice, and he was on The Electric Company. I'm blanking on his name. Um, he was uh, an older black man on Seven, the movie Seven. Oh, uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. I got Morgan it. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How can you forget Morgan Freeman? <laughs> right, right, right. I have to work my way through it. I had to talk my way to remembering Morgan Freeman's name. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So Andrew Davis has had some great movies that he directed. Uh, unfortunately, one of them was not so great. Uh, and it was so underwhelming that I guess he took a break from directing since that movie came out. And that was in night, uh, 2000, was it 2006 or 1996? I can't remember, but it's, I think it was 2006, but it's been a long time, but apparently he's got some up- upcoming projects. So, uh, good luck to him on his, uh, on his new endeavors and on the projects that he intends to do. Absolutely. So, um, the screenplay is by Jeb Stewart and David Twawi or Twahi. Not exactly sure. I'm, I'm close. I, I think I'm close. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think I've heard it pronounced Tui. That, that sounds good too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure again. Right. Uh, we, we're going to work on it. <laughs> so, uh, this, this, uh, this movie, this story was based on characters and the 1963 to 1967 TV series by Roy Huggins. So Stewart also wrote or did some writing for Die Hard, Lock Up, and another 48 Hours. And Tui, he wrote Pitch Black, Riddick, and Imposter. Have mm. you heard of Imposter? I have not heard of Imposter. I've heard of the uh, first two, obviously. Uh, those are great, uh, great little science fiction movies. But right. Imposter, no, I have not heard of yeah, Imposter. Uh, so Imposter is another bomb. Uh, stars Gary Sinise. Uh, and oh yeah, David. Uh, no, it's Ornaforni. Uh, uh, I forgot his name. Oh, I Vincent. Forgot to, Den- yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. Thank you, thank you. That's what I was yeah. going for. I know the capital O was throwing me off. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, I love that movie, but uh, and I thought everybody loved that movie, but I realized that it's. It's been forgotten. Like I, when I saw this in the IMDb, I was like, "Oh, nobody talks about this movie." And oh, it's, it's funny. It's based on a Philip K. Dick novel, and even though, oh, okay, right, and and it's, it follows along its themes of robots and artificial intelligence and yada yada yada. And we're actually coming to the, that conversation right now with artificial intelligence and life like robots. So it's curious to see how people react. And like, if people were to rewrite rewatch imposter how they will react to it now as opposed to how it was received when it first premiered so um moving right along let us know who wrote the music for this who was the composer well uh if you are a movie buff like we are you would recognize definitely james newton howard um I don't know how much time you got to, to go through his composer credits. Uh, there well, is a lot there. <laughs> that, that's why I only write like four or five of them. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, he's got uh, King Kong under his wing, the village uh, Willow, the TV series jungle cruise. But uh, yeah, I mean, look him up. He's got, um, he's got a plethora of uh, projects uh, under his, uh, under his name. So Absolutely. Yeah, just as a composer alone, just not even like a music, a musician, a musician contributing to a project, just right. as a composer, he has 178 credits to his name. That's what composers do. They they write a lot of music. So <laughs> it's always like a, a director might do like 20 films, an actor might do 100 or 200 uh, projects that includes TV shows and movies. But composers are almost consistently doing between 150 to 200 
move uh movies or tv shows or whatever music that yeah. they're writing for i think what happens is that they just write a lot of music and then when a producer comes to them or a director comes to them asking for music. They just go into their treasure chest of music that they've never published and say, see if this fits. <laughs> right. I think that's how they do it. That's, that's my theory. Uh, so funny. that's it for the opening credits. And if you're enjoying the show, please remember you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, jerseys, and more at our website, backlookcinema.com dot com slash shop where you will get new designs every now and then i'm actually working on new designs right now i don't know when if or when they'll get published well they will get published i'll put it that way i just don't know when i have no idea (laughs) but i'll i'll send out some announcements let you know whenever uh i get some new stuff out there so um now we're gonna move over and talk about our favorite parts. All right, Ro, let us hear what are some of your favorite parts of The Fugitive? So one of the things that I love when I go to movies, especially when I go to movies to see movies that are set in Chicago, you know, obviously we had movies like The Dark Knight. Uh, We're talking about The Fugitive. I love seeing Chicago on the big screen. I live here. So it's it's wonderful to see um, Hollywood come to Chicago and do, you know, do their thing. So when Richard Kimball is, uh, you know, uh, in City Hall, when he's, uh, you know, going down LaSalle Street, getting chased by CPD, I love seeing all of that. Um, You know, um, people, uh, there's people that I know that were in the movie uh, because I I work in in news here in Chicago and they still talk about what a wonderful experience it was uh, to be in The Fugitive. Uh, Some some people were background uh, actors. There are some uh, city hall officials that were in the movie. So it's uh, it's really cool to see all of that stuff. And I just like I said, I just love seeing any time that Chicago is on screen. I I kind of like make a mental note to see like, you know, have I been there? Uh, do I you know what have what am I familiar with? Because it's always a lot of fun seeing uh, Chicago on the big screen. I love it. Yeah, I know how you feel. Uh, I live near. Uh, hold on. I know my throat has decided to cock up over here hold on yeah let's see okay that sounds better so i know how you feel because i live near washington dc so every once in a while there's a movie that's either set in the city or it's there might be some filming i almost never see people filming in the city so (laughs) but um i do see because a lot of times they 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 just use the city as establishing shots so you know you'll see a picture of the Capitol or the washington monument or something like that but they're not actually filming here. But um, they, I do see stuff like where uh, there was one movie that we looked at. I think I seen um, what was that? It was a Harrison Ford movie where he was a uh, a CIA analyst. It was a Ryan something. Oh, uh, Hunt for Red October was one of them. Yeah. Oh and, no, that was that was part of the series. Right, that's part the, of the uh, series. He was in he was yeah. in the next one. So yeah. that one was set in uh. 
Washington, D.C., and then some of the outer uh, suburbs. So in watching that, you know, there were some landmarks that I recognized. And then you'll see things like, well, that's not in the city. (laughs) That's not in the city or the surrounding area. We don't have anything like that in the city. (laughs) Uh, Clear and present danger. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The movie. Um, And it's interesting because uh, this is a kind of a side note Uh, in clear and present danger. You have Sam Jackson. Right. Who was in that movie who was also in a star Wars and you had James Earl Jones, who is also in a star Wars right. as, uh, as Darth Vader. So you had all the star Wars actors, including Harrison Ford uh, in clear and present danger, which is kind of cool. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody like there is like a family. No, it's not a family reunion. Cause sort of least- uh, you know, <laughs> Star Wars family reunion. Yeah. Okay. You can say that. So uh, yeah, sort of. Um, so what I, I like uh, the start of the movie where it, it kind of starts with the murder. It's, <laughs> it's like jumps into the story right away. It's like, we're not going to waste any time. We're not going to waste your time. We're going to get the story started. So, and then the way they, they shot the, the action of the murder, it's like in, I don't know, uh, it's like three, three frames per second or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's right. like stop motion action. And I think it's in black and white. So uh, that really kind of, sets a certain kind of emotion for the audience, a certain type of expectation. And then they cut that with the uh, the trial and sentencing of Dr. Kimball, or, or also the uh, the interrogation. So I'll, I like the way that it had started off. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... Again, you know, uh, they didn't uh, they didn't waste any time to get you kind of into the story. Obviously, the name of the movie is called The Fugitive. Uh, we want to know, uh, you know, what he's running from. So, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Right. And a lot of people who went to see the movie probably remember the TV show that came on. So it's like they knew what to expect. They, they knew how, uh, why, like who murdered who the murderer was, or they know, um, if they didn't know who the murderer was, they knew that it wasn't Dr. Kimball, but the way they, right. <laughs> but the way they, they did this movie was that you didn't know for sure. Like you didn't know for sure if Dr. Kimball was the murderer because they didn't show any evidence in the flashbacks that would have exonerated him, like at least in the eyes of the audience. So when they did the, he must have some horrible lawyers though, because <laughs> Right. The police actually have no evidence that he did it. The only thing they really have is the nine one one call, and they use that to to hang. They use that one piece of evidence to hang it on him. But there was like they were saying things like, "Well, his fingerprints are on the gun. His his fingerprints are all over the victim." It's like, well, it's his wife and right. it's his gun. It's his house. <laughs> yes, of course you're gonna find his fingerprints in his yeah. house. <laughs> yeah, He's a doctor. Yeah, he probably going to try to save his wife's life or as she lay there dying. So. Right. It's like that was really the only evidence. If it was like any place else, then you could say, <laughs> well, we found his fingerprints. But or if it was a different weapon or something. But no, it was it, they didn't have anything on him. But uh, he, he so he had bad lawyers and he was railroaded by the system at the same time. So that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So um, what other parts you like? Well, you know, you have in your notes regarding the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade, and I think uh, it's funny because uh, I, I'm thinking of another Chicago-based movie that has a parade uh, that features very prominent um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 
Um, but um, yeah, the uh, the fact that uh, they were able to go into the parade, um, obviously with some permission. But um, I like when um, when movies kind of take advantage of, uh, I guess, the environment. Um, and and I, I guess I'm going to have to do some research, but uh, didn't realize that Andrew Davis was uh, a bit on the local side. Um, obviously, uh, you know, he comes back to Chicago time and time again for some other movies. So it's kind of cool that he knew, uh, you know, how to take advantage of uh, St. Patty's Day uh, here in Chicago and to be able to feature that uh, as part of the movie. Um, obviously, it gives uh, the film... Uh, a bit of uh, you know production value, obviously, but um, it's uh, it's it's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it's funny when when that scene came up. The first thing they showed you was that the river was green. I was like, "Why is the yeah. river?" Green? Then I was like, "Oh, oh, it's St. Pa- yeah. it's St. Patrick's Day." That's why the kids right. like that looks very weird. And then there yeah. was a comment that one of the characters says, uh, "I wish they had dyed blue the rest of the time." <laughs> 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 what I really yeah. liked about it is that it's. Uh, the dialogue and the script is is fantastic. It's like the dialogue that they have, like some of the stuff you might have to watch the movie a couple of times to catch some of the smart alecky things that they say amongst themselves <laughs> or they say to the witnesses or, uh, you know, just in casual conversation. And it is delivered so casually. It's just, I just love that. And it is something great for an actor like Joe or Tommy Lee Jones to play off of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the actors that they selected uh, i think kind of really fit in in this environment you know chicago uh, police uh you know not unlike you know a place like new york where there's a certain attitude um that is required from the actors so right uh, you know good stuff there um i also liked uh, the so like going into this the train sequence so there's a uh what you call it when the the, the whole train sequence was amazing starting from when they're actually on the train so the prisoners are locked up and, and you know they got the shackles on and oh no oh, they're on a bus that but the, they're approaching the train tracks and so and then um everybody's nodding and whatnot so dr kimball is looking around the prisoners <laughs> got are giving these looks they're, they're not actually nodding yeah. but he could tell by the way they're looking at each other that something's up. and it's yeah. like the dr kimball is very aware he is he is uh in in the old school parlance he is what, what he is he is staying woke in that instance <laughs> <laughs> right he is exactly like, like i miss anything right right so like if you look at the uh original definition of like people throw the, the word woke around and it has different meaning for different peoples but in original uh when it was originally coined back in the 1930s it would it just means like being aware of your environment basically you know it's like yeah. you know you got to you got to stay stay woke stay aware you know just be aware of what's going on in your surroundings and in this instance he's like super aware yeah <laughs> and i love that it just the <laughs> expression on Harrison Ford's face is like he's he's like his, it's like you can almost see that his antennas are up in, in his yeah. face. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, Harrison Ford, again, getting into like, you know, his uh, his acting. There, there's a lot of micro. Uh, um, what do you call it? Um, micro expressions with Harrison Ford's face. And, you know, he's in a comedy now on Apple TV, um, which, you know, he's he's doing phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, Harrison Ford is one of those actors that. He, he can say a lot by not saying a lot. It's really great. 
Yeah, and you see that in in a lot of his movies. You saw that in Blade Runner. You saw yeah. that. You even see it in Star Wars. You know, you see it. Sure. You see it in a lot. He 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 knows how to do a lot in a little. You see it in this movie a lot. Where, where, like, one of my favorite things about Harrison Ford is, like, when he gets an idea and you see it on his face. It's like when yes. you're a school teacher and you're teaching kids and it's a difficult yep. concept. And then you'll say something or you'll you'll have an antidote that they'll get and you can see it light up their faces. And Harrison Ford knows how to do that. And he can get away with doing scenes with very little dialogue, just his, just his demeanor and, and every, uh, just, just how he works it. So yeah, he's, and he, you'll see later on that he's extremely dedicated to the craft. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, is there anything that you want to make note about in the train sequence? Um, no, I mean, if you wanted to talk about, uh, the stunt here, as you got your notes, uh, this is actually something I was not aware of. Uh, yeah, we let's uh let's table that for for later on, but sure. I do want to mention that uh it's soon after the the exciting uh, train sequence where the the train hits the the school bus. The school bus is oh well, actually before the train, like while the train is coming, it's like you have the guard and the guard is like, yeah, you're a doctor, do something, and and Doctor Kimball says unshackle me. <laughs> So he's uh, unshackles yeah. Dr. Kimmel, and then he tries to save uh, the guy that got shot because, you know, the prisoners got out uh, or they got loose and they got a gun and one guard got shot or no, he got shivved. He got stabbed or, or something. Something bad happened. And then <laughs> Dr. Kimball is trying to save the dude. And then the guard that set him free just jumps off the bus because he <laughs> wants to get off before the train hit. The train, the, the bus is stuck on the tracks and he jumped off the bus and it was like, give me. And Dr. Kimball's like, give me a hand. Give me a hand. And this guy's gone. Right. And I was like, that was kind of messed up. Yeah. The, the other prisoners, uh, well, one, one prisoner is killed. The other prisoner like gets out. And then, um, Dr. Kimball, cause I think, uh, when the doc unlocked his own shackles, he just tossed it and it happened to be near another prisoner. And he, the black prisoner and the black prisoner, he got himself out. And so now Dr. Kimball is stuck with this guard. And now he, he decides to carry this guard off the train or at least push him off the train and then jump off the train himself. Uh, well, the bus, I'm saying the wrong vehicle, jump <laughs> off the bus before the train hits the bus. And he does that. And it's a fantastic sequence, fantastic special effects. It was just, spectacular it's chef kiss is it's probably the cornerstone moment of this movie or at least one of the cornerstones i'm not saying that everything goes downhill from there (laughs) but that's hard to top and um i think it only gets topped when uh timely jones enters the chat yes um and uh you know stunts like this and scenes like this always uh always impress me because there's a lot of coordination obviously that needs to be done um especially for this uh you know safety and stuff like that so it's 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 amazing to see on screen and it's a and, and for me because i'm i love all the behind the scenes stuff it's it's amazing to kind of learn you know all the stuff that that went into uh you know making this stunt or creating this effect um and it's 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 a lot of fun yeah it, it's it's fantastic so um any comments on Tommy Lee Jones acting uh, when he shows up on screen and he's the, the head uh, deputy in charge, so to speak. 
Yeah, I mean, he's got uh, he's one of those actors that uh, he walks into a role and he's got things under control, man. You yeah. know, yeah, I, I just love so, the way he just yeah take and it's Mark, like he's parking orders, right? He's doing this, you know, give me a perimeter here and right, you know, yeah, right. I and just love and he I just love that. and he does and he does it almost you know nonchalantly. It's like you know he's he's chewing on a toothpick, whatever, and he's like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's super relaxed when he shows up, yeah. And you know that uh, you know this character would be a, a uh, an imposing force against uh, you know the the main character of uh, Doctor Kimball. So uh, you know that the uh, the chase is going to be uh, you know kind of worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know that Doctor Kimball is is not running away from some normal person. And yeah. um, there is a. I like like when he shows up, like first it's like the, I guess it's the local police that's around the train area and, you mm-hmm. know, doing it, the TV interview and, and uh, so-called questioning the guard that's still there. And then Tommy Lee Jones shows up or uh, the deputy marshal, Samuel Gerard. And so when Jar- Gerard and his crew shows up, he's like, well, we need you to do this, this, and this. And, and the, the guy was like, we, we can't do that. If if I do that, then I'll be swamped with, I guess, requests for weeks. <laughs> we can't we can't uh, do that because because he because Gerard is making the assumption that the fugitive is alive and still on the run or all of the fugitives. Like he's not buying the story that all of the fugitive died in a crash. Right. He's making an assumption that some of them escape. So he says, do a perimeter and then, you know, send out notices and so on and so forth. And the. the the local police is like, no, well, we can't do that. I'll be swamped with, with requests and stuff. And so Gerard says, well, don't worry about that. That means I can take this off your hands and let me worry about it. <laughs> and just takes off the case. Like he's doing the guy a favor. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because, you know, we know that local police never like to give up their jurisdiction to a case or right. whatever. They never like to <laughs> lose control. And, um, and then like proves to him face that he was wrong to assume that, the prisoners didn't Everybody escape. died, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, now we got a bunch of prisoners running loose, and that's when he starts barking orders. I, I, I just love that. That was that was just great. That's what I loved about U.S. Marshals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he'll, yeah. he'll throw up like some weird non-sequential, like, uh, I want to search every hen house, outhouse, farmhouse in the area. <laughs> it's like just everything. <laughs> yeah. Those are great lines. Yeah, yeah. One of the things yeah. that I noticed is that uh, it seemed like the guard at first, like they asked him if, uh, like if he's seen Doctor Kimball, like that they'd have a picture of Doctor Kimball. He's like, "Have you seen this man?" And he says, "No, no, I, I, I hadn't seen him." And then when they find the shackles, they were like, "You know, you want to revise your statement." <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like ass. it's weird because. <laughs> I don't know if he was covering for the doctor or he was just kind of, he didn't want to take any responsibility. So he kind of uh, tried to lie his way out of it or something. I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with, uh, with that dude, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he maintains his job any longer. I guess he's going to be put on detention <laughs> for, <laughs> for losing his prisoners. I, you know, I don't Maybe if he told the truth from the get go, I let sure. Dr. Kimball go because my partner got shot instead of claiming <laughs> that he saved his partner. Oh, he would have done the same for me. You jumped off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I, I, I love the little, 
uh, details that they put into the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too funny. What What are some other favorite scenes that you can think of right now? Um, nothing comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I again, you're just this movie is. Um, I love just all the the kind of like the hiding and the sleuthing, and obviously, you know, Kimball uh, changes his appearance. Uh, he goes on the run. I love the, um, I guess the kind of the, the the mystery aspect of uh, of the who done it. You know, you don't know who actually killed uh, Kimball's wife, and uh, when he really starts, uh, when Harrison Ford's character really starts getting into the investigation process. You know, he's got to do it his, alone. Um, uh, and it, you know, he goes around and does his thing and um, it really gets exciting. Yeah, he has to be alone. He has to be as incognito as possible. And yeah. what's interesting is that he doesn't go into like a, an outrageous disguise. He's not uh, putting on a wig or uh, or anything that's outrageous. He just shaves his beard and he dyes his hair. And, uh, so now bit, yeah. it's like jet black and i was like oh he's even more dashing now <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene where he's a uh, he breaks into a hospital and just like he takes off his prison clothes because obvious you got to do that and then puts on yeah. like a jumpsuit from a, a delivery man and yeah. you know just being all casual he knows how to be casual and relax so that he doesn't draw suspicion on himself so he doesn't need a disguise he just yeah. acts natural and uh and with his beard shaved off, he's less recognizable. And sure. because the photo is going around that everybody sees is Dr. Kimball with a beard. So he's going to be Dr. Kimball with, uh, without a beard, wearing a, wearing a, like a, not a jumpsuit, but overalls instead of like a three-piece suit like you would normally see a doctor. He just, for someone who has never been on a run, such as Dr. Kimball, he really know how to be yeah, exactly. incognito. <laughs> this might have some, something to do with, I'm, I'm theorizing now. So Dr. Kimball was probably a well-known doctor, and there were probably times that he didn't want to talk to people. So my suspicion mm, is that oh, he, yeah. he learned through his profession, being well-known and, and wanting to be incognito, He's he learned how to basically make himself less noticeable right <laughs> make yeah, yourself that's a good uh, theory like when he's out in public just just less interesting in order to move in places without being bothered sure yeah that makes sense that makes sense so um th- this is all this is all guesswork sometimes you have to do guesswork with these movies <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so th- there's one particular scene where uh like so he breaks basically sneaks into a hospital and immediately starts to heal himself. And he's like, I was thinking to myself, physician, heal thyself. And that's exactly yeah. what he does. <laughs> exactly. yeah. And he's, he's, uh, he's twisted in the kind of way to uh, try to, um, like, he's not stitching himself up, but he's, he's treating his wound that's on his side. So he's twisted himself to heal the wound on his side. And, and I, was, I got flashbacks of the fine art classes that I had in community yeah. college i was like that's exactly the type of picture that i'd be required to draw <laughs> oh that's funny yeah so um he's uh so he's walking around he's shaved his beard he's got jet black hair he's being incognito and he decides that you know he knows the police are not going to go looking for the real murderer because they think that he's a real murderer so he decides that he's going to find a murderer himself. And then as 
he makes this determination, you get more flashbacks, and now the flashbacks are now you get to see the murder, and now you now the audience find is finally revealed to the audience that Kimball was actually telling the truth, and I think this is the director's way of deciding to get the audience fully on Kimball's side, because in the beginning yeah. you're not sure he could still right. be innocent, and then they and then the director decides to let us off the hook. I, I, yeah. And it seems like, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good idea to let uh, the audience root for uh, a bad guy or a killer. Uh, so this is uh, the perfect way of kind of letting the audience in on on the secret, but also rooting for him as a character as he, uh, you know, traverses the story to try and find the, the real killer. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's paced very well, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, there's uh, one scene there. Uh, this is when Dr. Kimball is on the run. And he's like the, there's a fabulous chase sequence when he goes in the hospital. He, yeah, well, before he before the sequence starts, he he walks out the hospital looking like it, posing as a doctor, which he is, and he actually sees the guy that he saved from the train, and the guy's trying to say something, <laughs> and he puts the breathing thing on him. It's like check his uh ventricle up there, right, <laughs> <It's> yeah. like, <laughs> and then yeah. steals the ambulance, and then. And then at first he's acting casual in the ambulance and then uh he then he goes running and then the police start chasing him again and then they chase him to a tunnel and it's the tunnel sequence that is awesome because everybody is sure that he's going to get caught. It's like we're all, all sure. Right. It's like he's definitely caught. There's no way he's going to get away. And he finds his way down a storm drain and I thought that was that was awesome. It was like wait way to go. Way to way to solve that problem because I've seen way too many stories where they solve problems in a sense, in a way that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's one of those scenes that is very recognizable, um, in, in movies, uh, you know, older movies. Um, and it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's recreated, uh, for, you know, similar effect, uh, than what the movie had in the original, uh, in the original movie. But it's, uh, like I said, you know, you've, you, you've got that shot of, uh, you know, uh, Kimball at the edge of the uh, the storm drain, and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, doing that scene back and forth. Uh, the lines that are um, very iconic. I would have to say they're very iconic because uh, you know Richard Kimball's like, "I didn't kill my wife," and Tommy Lee Jones turns around and says, "I don't care." <laughs> and the way he says it, I mean, it's it's perfect. Um, it's uh it's wonderfully uh performed uh you know i i think uh the script had the line uh, uh a little differently didn't it yeah and what i liked about this is that even if they went with the line that was in the script it's not exactly what you would expect because it's like usually police says or tell it to the judge or right. don't worry it'll be all right or they'll even lie and say i believe you just come along with me instead <laughs> instead the uh the lawman says, I don't care because it's like his job isn't to, yeah. you know, defend you or try to determine your guilt or innocent. His job is to recapture an escape fugitive, which sure. you are. So, right. you know, that's, that's the end of this day. Right? It's, that's all I'm yeah. concerned. And I love that. I love that line. I like how unexpected it was. It, it's like, it's almost a joke. You almost want to, it feels like a punchline to a joke because it hits the same way. And yeah. there's, there's a part that, that I'd like, where the the chase uh when the when the officers first go into the it's not a sewer it's more like a, a runoff they go into the runoff tunnel that's under the bridge uh the or 
whatever it's called. And then um and then uh Cosmo played by Joe Pants. You know, he goes into the water and he's like, I just bought these shoes. And my first thought was, why would you buy fancy shoes to work? Aren't you supposed to be buying like all purpose work shoes? What, what is you doing, right. dude? Like, <laughs> who do you, who do you think you are? Miami Vice? Right, right, right. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't Miami Vice and you you don't have that salary. Shame on you for wearing your fancy shoes to, to the job. Uh, and good on, good on you for wearing your good shoes. Uh, you deserve bad shoes now. So, um. Also, the iconic scene. So you mentioned uh, I Don't Care. So one of my favorite scenes, another iconic scene, probably one that best, well, at least keeps up with the train scene is when Dr. Kimball, he uh, he gets, well, um, what's his name? Marshall or Gerard. He gets to drop on Kimball at the end of the tunnel because Kimball is running and all of a sudden he's got nowhere else to run. The end of the tunnel is to drop off a waterfall and then the marshal is right behind him. And the marshal has a backup gun because at the time that the, the whole dialogue between I don't care had come up, that's when Dr. Kimball had grabbed the marshal's gun. So now he's running, lets the marshal live, and then the marshal chases him. He has a backup gun. They're at the end of the tunnel now. Now uh, Kimball has no place to go. And it's just a drop off. It's like yeah. death or get arrested. And then, and uh, the lawman is like, put the gun down. Now turn around. Now put your hands behind your back. And and all of these things. And so Kimball just jumps. I was like, well, Jump. he's dead. He's like, he's dead in real life. I meant to look <laughs> up if somebody could actually survive that. I'm guessing that it's like a one in a million chance of surviving the fall. But I think that Dr. Kimball was like, well, I can either die right now or i can go to jail and die in prison so if i dive off of here there's a chance i'll survive and i can i can continue so and and then he jumps i was like that's incredible and i I love the reaction of everybody else it's like oh he's dead can we go home now (laughs) (laughs) right right but um what's his name gerard is so dogged that he he at least wants to see a body so he doesn't make the mistake that like every villain Everybody in else, every movie right. remakes is yeah. like they once they they think that somebody once somebody falls down or falls in some water they assume that that person is dead and then it comes back and bites them but Gerard is like nope I want to see a body and I I love that I love that that's what makes this movie good yeah absolutely I think uh, you know it's uh, and you know the 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 other thing that makes the movie good is the relationship uh, the way that the actors interact with each other um, you know they're obviously they're playing characters but there's something about them even uh, with this chase this cat and mouse chase um, they develop kind of like a rapport throughout the movie that makes it fun uh, for the audience to kind of follow the 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 chase from both perspectives you've got Kimball who is trying to find out who murdered his wife and you've got uh, you know Gerard you know just trying to capture him. But, you know, and we'll get into it. But later on, the 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 I guess the the dynamic of the two characters kind of change because, uh, you know, their um, their perspectives are changing. And I think that's uh, I think that makes for uh, a really good narrative in, in this storytelling. And and one of the reasons that uh, this movie is so popular. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it shows character growth, especially for um, Gerard and then a little bit for uh Dr. Richard Kimball. He is, although I have to say that his character doesn't change a whole lot. Where for him, we're just along for the ride. We rooting for him to 
solve this murder. And then when we get more flashback, we get to see what he sees. We get to see the real murder. We get to see the one-armed man. And then we're like, where he's he's in a spot where we're rooting for him. So his nece- his character doesn't necessarily have to grow. It just has to solve this murder. <laughs> and then right. um, you mentioned the rapport. So like one of them is like, I don't know how, I know that uh, I talk about it later on that there was some, um, some lines that were improvised and some lines that were in the script. So I don't know which was rich, but I remember when, uh, when, Ger- when Gerard says, when he talks about Kimball jumping off, he says he did a Peter Pan off the dam. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's like inspired dialogue or right. later on, yeah. w- later on um, when he's on the ground and the guy says uh, it's like a local police and they, in Gerard is, telling him like he wants these perimeters and dogs and all of these things and uh local police is like uh well he's fish food now and yeah. <laughs> gerard tells them well go get a pole and go catch the fish that ate him <laughs> <laughs> yeah again you know i i know a lot of these older actors uh you know kind of take a look at scripts and say you know what i'd rather say it this way or i'd rather do that and obviously harrison ford changed one of the most popular lines in star wars princess leia says i love you and he says i know instead of i love you back so it's it's interesting to see a lot of the actors changing some of the lines in this movie especially um and then obviously especially because harrison ford is in doing the same thing here right right yeah they when you have the right actors they definitely make the movie better when they're able to improvise sometimes the improvisation improvisation works and sometimes it doesn't but when it works Mm -hmm. it's like magic and it's like and when you see that yeah and then when you see it it's like there's no way that it could be like if it was any other cast it never would have worked the way it worked in this movie yeah absolutely there there was uh some subtle misdirects in the movie that i enjoyed that there was one part in the middle of the movie where they're talking about recapturing the fugitive and they said um you know, and now I'm asking myself, how did they how did they find him? Because they're saying, yeah, he was spotted here, here, and here. And I'm like, how did you spot him when you are when you're still looking for him? That doesn't make any sense. And then uh and then when they continue with the movie, they found the other one that escaped. So the big black fugitive that had escaped and they were talking about him in the house that he's held up in. And then they did that scene where, you know, they they uh they're able to recapture him and they capture him because uh, one one of the guys, um, Newman, he gets he gets caught by by the by the other fugitive. So and then the woman is continuously screaming, and Newman is caught, and uh, the other fugitive is like, you know, uh, just let me go. We could talk this out. Just let me go. You let me go. I'm gonna blow his head off. And Gerard <laughs> is sneaking around, and it sneaks around to a way where he could shoot the fugitive dead but he shoots the fugitive and is right next to newman and newman did not appreciate that right <laughs> and uh gerard was like you think i should have negotiated with him and newman says yeah yeah you, you could have killed me and he says i don't negotiate so <laughs> so it, yeah. it kind of builds uh gerard's character a little bit you know shows where he is it's like he's a type of person that's not going to stop until he gets who he's after although i'm not a fan of the no-knock warrants even though theoretically it's used properly in this case i'm like (laughs) i'm I'm glad there are uh, lots of uh, places that stop using that and that you know that uh goes to show you too i mean um 
Tom Lee Jones's performance, uh, you know, Garter uh, told the, um, I guess the directors or the studio that uh, another movie might be good with him in it. Um, I got to rewatch that one too, because I don't remember a lot of, uh, of Marshall, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, when you got Tom Lee Jones and it's funny cause you got in the notes here. Um, the fact that Tommy Lee Jones uh, supposedly told Joe Pantoliano that uh, no one's going to win any awards for this film. Right. And then not only does it uh, generate seven Academy Awards and three Golden Glows, but uh, a sequel as well. So who knew? Right, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> they, they did some um, phenomenal work in this movie, yeah. especially like for an action movie. Right. It's like <laughs> yeah. they, the, the Oscars uh, are hard on uh either action movies or sci-fi movies or yeah. romantic comedies or just plain comedies right <laughs> if it's not like a drama then uh right. the oscars like it, kind of don't yeah, right don't pay right. attention to it too much uh, right but right yeah right. absolutely not that i don't like dramas but they do get a lot of <laughs> attention from the oscars sure like they're overrepresented uh, as it's, yeah. as it might be said so you had mentioned that uh, you know, Kimball being the detective, he's being almost like a master disguise. He reminds me of a, a show that was on called The Pretender uh, okay. about this guy who would just basically assume different identities uh, mm-hmm. to solve mysteries. I, I'm, you know what? I think that might have been the insp- this or or The Fugitive might be the inspiration for that show. Like when you think about it, because The Fugitive is basically a man assuming different identities to solve a crime. Yeah. And uh, and. Kimball is in a serious situation because he's being chased and he doesn't have any outside help. And then when he finds uh, like some of the evidence that he needs, then that's when he tries to lead the people who are pursuing them to that evidence. <laughs> it's like, right. And it's like, he's taking a chance. It's like, uh, but, but I got to try something. Yeah. And that, I think that's what makes this movie uh, so unique. Um and that's what, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that's how his uh, that's how both of their characters dynamic changes. And, uh, you know, it, it it almost, you know, it starts out here, you know, left and left and right. And then as the story progresses, they kind of join in the middle in a way that uh, I don't um, you know, I don't recall any other movie or any other like murder mystery, you know, kind of going that way. You know, you've got your usual, you know, whodunits where uh you know the the mystery is solved uh, by one party or another but this time it's uh it's really unique like you said you know richard kimball kind of um starts to want to uh direct you know uh gerard to some of the clues and and uh almost like um you know recruit him as as uh, as help right and um it it changes uh in the middle of the movie and i i think um it's almost like you're watching a new movie every every couple of minutes because the, the dynamic changes between those two characters, which is fantastic. Right, right. And the choice he makes to, to lead him to the evidence where Kimball leads um, Marshall to the evidence or the Marshall to the evidence is like as he's making a phone call from the house of the one eyed the one armed man. And uh, he calls and he says, like, remember what I what I said at the at the waterfall? Because now the Marshall is getting a bunch of crank calls. So when. Kimball says that it was like an inspired choice to open the conversation. So when Kimball says that the marshal automatically knows that this is the real Dr. Kimball. And he says, uh, and so now he's Dr. Kimball's trying to get Gerard to change his mind. So I, I love that 
like you said, the gumshoe work, the, the t- the detecting around and like how I mentioned the how he has that, that insight, the, the light bulb goes off. And right. so, <laughs> and then that leads um, to more chases, more action. It leads to the confrontation with the one-eyed man who's like you said, is very imposing. And what's interesting about it is that uh, the one-eyed man was, even though he physically murdered the wife, he's not the, uh, he was just, uh, a hired gun. Right, so he's yeah. not he's not the true murderer. And uh, do more detective work. Uh they find um what's his name? Uh Dr. Jared. Charles Nichols. Right, yeah. And uh yeah, and so when so when it's him and and then Kimball shows up at the, the the meeting, it's like and then there's the fight between two old men. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then there's a point where they're on the roof and they fall down the elevator and I'm thinking, well, they're dead then because they're old, right? (laughs) Yeah. There's no helping the osteoporosis now. Right, right, right. And then um, they continue fighting. And it's like the the action sequence was was great, but it doesn't, um, but it's a little bit uh, anticlimactic because it's one of those things where I I figure the one-armed man should have been involved in that. (laughs) I mean, he, he kind of dispatched the one-armed man pretty easily. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I like the way I like, um, but I, I do like the way it was handled. I, I like, cause it looked, um, cause in the train, they were on, they were on a subway train and then they, you know, the one-armed man happens to be on the same train as Dr. Campbell, or maybe he followed him onto the train. And so he was just going to shoot him on the train. I guess, I guess that'll work. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, we you know we live in big cities, right? 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 <laughs> it's it's such it was such a weird choice to just shoot them on the train. That's so weird. But anyway, um, but doesn't get to do it. Shoots a police officer instead. And then, um, what what did you think of the resolution of the whole story? Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's um. I think it was, I think it was well done again, you know, the, the, um, the, the scripting and the, the, the story, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I have uh, a lot of issues with, uh, with current movies is the writing aspect. Um, they seem to just kind of like slap things together and then call it a script. Um, a lot of movies, uh, like you said earlier, probably need to have a, uh, you know, third or fourth draft, you know, kind of, uh, scripted out, but, uh, I, I like the way they ended. And I know you have in the notes that, um, they, uh, filmed, uh, two endings for it. And I think a lot of movies have done that because they want to make sure that, uh, you know, the best possible outcome for, uh, not only for the movie, but just for the audiences as well. Um, but it, it's interesting. And I think, uh, I think they handled it well. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I I liked that it was uh the way it ended in um a somewhat unexpected way because they really hid the fact that uh Doctor Charles Nichols was um was the real perpetrator of of all of the nonsense because this is the first person that Doctor Kimball goes to help and then he doesn't give up Doctor Kimball and then you know Doctor Kimball get some help from him some more so it, it really was well set up it was it was all good up until they realized that dr kimball or not dr kimball but dr nichols knows this guy that was involved with uh big pharma the dm or dh was the big 
uh, the big pharma company that mm-hmm. Dr. Nichols is going to be on the board of. And so that set up the motivation for killing Dr. Kimball because Dr. Kimball had found evidence that the drug that they were, that the big pharma was testing was not working or had very dangerous side effects. And they didn't want that getting out to the public. They didn't want to tell the yeah. public that the drug right. had very dangerous side effects. So yeah. uh, this ought to pique your interest into conspiracy theories because people think that about <laughs> these big companies right. all the time. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So uh so the so we find out that the murderer of Dr. Kimball's wife was Big Pharma all along. So that was that was an interesting twist. <laughs> it's like it wasn't just it wasn't a lone gunman. It was uh yeah. it wasn't somebody that was just robbing the place. It wasn't just anything like that it was it was just a huge uh pharmaceutical conspiracy and it, it was solved by a doctor who was framed for murder so that, and yeah. they weren't even after his wife they were after him <laughs> and they, they failed to because they they could kill his wife and not sure. uh they didn't have to worry about um well he they would still have to worry about dr kimball leaking this information or finding out that um they were going to go ahead with the drug so they they needed to eliminate him but um i I loved i liked that the story to me made sense and i liked that there there weren't like huge gigantic plot holes that i could spot right away and i just in general like like action and, and suspense movies so this checked all the boxes for me so it was yeah it's why it's one of my favorite movies it's got a good mix of all of that stuff, you know, the drama, the uh, the the mystery, the action, um, you know, and, and you know, and great actors at the time of their career. You know, 1993, this movie was released, so it's 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 got a good mix of everything. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that we have exhausted the things that we loved about this movie. Of course, we could probably go on, but let's let's switch gears. Let's go on and talk about the trivia. Now we're back to talk about the trivia given to us by IMDb. Now, as I always warn you, I'm not editing this stuff. I'm just cutting and pasting. So (laughs) if it's wrong, I'm so sorry. Also, I'm reading it, so there might be some flubs on my part. (laughs) That's going to happen. So let me start off with, uh, but this is like some of the most interesting trivia of like many other movies that I have looked for trivia for. So the scene where Kimball is running through the St. Patrick's Day Parade was not scripted. This was a later edition by Andrew Davis. As you mentioned earlier, Davis, a native of the city, as you surmised, really wanted to capture the parade and was granted permission from the mayor's office, uh, from the mayor's office to film the day of the parade. The entire sequence was shot with a handheld Steadicam without rehearsal. Ford and Jones just went up, went out into the crowd and did their thing with camera operatings running around trying to keep up. Ford observed that since his character was keeping a low profile, it meant that he himself didn't stand out much and lasted several minutes in the crowd before being recognized. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Imagine just being in the parade and I'm like, hey, look, it's Han Solo. Right, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> 
so cool. And it's like they just said that he was recognized, but they're not suggesting that he was pointed out by anybody. Probably somebody who was walking beside was like, wait a minute, you're Harrison Ford. It's like, I'm trying, I'm acting right here. I'll talk yeah. to you later. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Very and cool. Always what, awesome dude. What I really liked about that particular scene, the parade scene, is that at first he's running, but because he knows how to be incognito, as soon as he gets a chance to just blend in in the crowd, that's yeah. what he does. First, he just walks around like in a crowd. Then he walks around in a parade. Then he he puts on a, a hat that he digs out of a trash can, a green St. Patty's Day parade hat that like thousands of people are wearing that day. Right. And then he takes, he finally takes off his coat, his green coat. And now he looks like he's just wearing a blue hoodie. So I, I love that, how natural. And then it, you wouldn't expect that these are just cameramen running around. Like this right. looks like it was shot on purpose, but it was, it was just an improvised act and it looks yeah. awesome. Looks great. Uh, the, uh, the big stunt we talked about earlier, Andrew Davis only had one chance to crash the train in the train scene and had to get it right, obviously. So he consult consulted an array of engineers and stunt doubles and the insurance company, obviously to predict what would happen. The train was expected to crash into the bus at 35 miles an hour, but the director was in error. The train came in at 42 miles an hour, and uh, if everybody remembers their uh, their physics lessons, uh, that's a big no-no. Nevertheless, the scene went exactly as planned. And you know, when you plan on uh, doing a stunt with uh, big, uh, you know, vehicles like that, you got to get every little thing right um, because obviously lives are at stake. Uh, the safety of the uh, crew and the actors are. Uh, at uh, at the top of their uh, you know of of worrying about it, but it's interesting that they got the insurance company uh, involved because they're the ones that usually say uh, no, you got to use dummies or CGI or something. But right, right. And what I liked about this is that so they had engineers there, so the engineer was probably like, "All right, here's what's going to happen. This this is going to end up here. This car is going to jack over there." This car right here behind that car is going to jack over there. This one's going to end up in a big pile of it. All right. It's, everybody's going to be safe. I, I, we got it right. <laughs> it's, and I, it's I, funny because it because it never happens that way. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, I, I was shooting a, uh, a stage scene between a um, uh, an Amtrak train that was supposed to hit a, uh, a Chevy Trailblazer that's on the track. This is for my my work. And we did the same thing. We asked, where do you think it's going to end up? We were thinking, okay, it's going to end up over here. None of the stuff that the engineer said would happen, happened. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so uh, I guess, you know, as an engineer, you do the best you can. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you got to give your best guess. So the next one is, uh, it proved to be cheaper to use a full-size or a full-size locomotive at around $20,000 each rather than creating the crash scene using miniatures as the budget was quite tight. It was impossible to rehearse this key scene and it was a one shot deal. One time to get it right. Uh, yeah. uh, some, I think Eminem mentioned something like that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's funny though, because um, I think as a director, he has the ability to, uh, to do a lot of coverage, which means put cameras all over the place. And as you said, before we started, they could fix it in post. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I, I think that's really one of the saving graces of shooting a scene like this that can only be shot once is that shoot it from as many angles as possible. Right. So that when you edit it, it could, you know, you get the best possible cut of that particular stunt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the train wreck uh, and the bus remain a tourist attraction in Dillsboro, North Carolina. Is that where that stuff ended up? I guess I'm guessing that's where they shot it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. they shot uh, that scene in Dillsboro, North Carolina, and they left it there. <laughs> <laughs> the The engine, though, uh, I didn't write this, but it's in the IMDb. The engine didn't get destroyed. So they're still using the engine, but uh, uh, the, re- the rest of the wreck is just a train wreck. So uh, <laughs> that, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> so Harrison Ford damaged some ligaments in his leg during filming of the scenes in the woods. He refused to take surgery until the end of filming so that his character would keep the limp. The limp came to be seen as any subsequent scene where Richard Kimball is running. And yeah, you do notice that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, Harrison Ford seems to get injured a lot. He was injured uh, on the set of The Force Awakens. Yes, there was and, a, famous, uh, yeah. uh, a famous injury. Yeah, but um, yeah, a lot of uh, injuries in... Uh, you know, his uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. Yeah. So. And cause he's in a, he's an action star. He's an action guy. And exactly. He's, he's in the action movies and he's doing a number of stunts in his right. movies. And I don't think that he's, he's like Tom Cruise or, um, uh, I forgot right, the name. Yeah. Chang. What's, is it Chang? Uh, Chong. Nope. That's not it. Um, the, see, I, I forgot the name. I can see his face in my memory, but I can't remember a name. He, he's, uh, Chinese action star, and he does his own stunts. Oh, uh, Jackie Chan? Jackie Chan. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So he's not like he's Jackie Chan. <laughs> right. See, Jackie Chan. I mean, Tom Cruise is crazy, but Jackie Chan is crazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you see you see some of the stunts, and obviously you're like, oh, my God, he had to have broken several ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he probably had. And yeah. I remember, um, I, I think it was uh, Rumble in the Bronx. They do this for every movie, where they show... Like uh, the behind the scenes of Jackie Chan getting hurt, and uh, and I think it was in Rumble in the Bronx. He had uh, either sprained his ankle or he broke some bones or whatever. So he had to wear a cast on his leg, and they just painted his cast to look like pants oh. and shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he could, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm like, man, that's crazy. <laughs> that's yeah. funny. I mean, all the stuff that, uh, you know, that gets done on movies just to kind of fool the audience, uh, which brings us to our next point. Wax bullets were fired at the glass door at the same time Tommy Lee Jones was firing his blanks. And, you know, it's funny because I I remember uh, another movie in Chicago, um, Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. I remember being... um, on location as a spectator just a person watching them filming and there's a scene where uh the police are firing up at um at a ledge at a parking garage and you see um you know the in the movie obviously you're going to see bullets kind of fly off and and the the concrete of the parking garage wall kind of like you know flake off you can see because obviously they're bullets but in real life, they've got these air guns that shoot out uh, wax pellets at the um, at the place. But the wax pellets kind of because of the heat, they they almost sometimes turn into uh, to dust, which makes it 
seem like the bullets are hitting concrete and then they're kind of snapping off. So it's kind of an interesting thing to, to watch in real life. Right. Right. So, um, it's that it's the, uh, another technique where they use blanks and, and squids, which most people are familiar with and, uh, explosive charges. So that I guess if they want to portray a, a round with a higher impact, then they put tiny charges on the concrete. Now, obviously you're not going to do this on a, like a real structure, but on a set, that's something that you would tend to do where, where the bullets kind of explode off the wall. But yeah, yeah it's a uh, movie magic is fascinating. And now because of like the recent tragedy uh, that involved uh, an actor that we all know, <laughs> it was yeah. Um, now uh, movies are transitioning away from using live rounds and, and they're trying to use uh, what you call it, either airsoft guns or uh, like different uh, spe- or special effects or different techniques for not uh, just to get away from using actual firearms. So what I heard was yeah. that on John Wick 4, which I still haven't seen, but I still plan <laughs> to see it on John Wick 4, they none of the muzzle flashes were real. Apparently they were all CGI'd in. So I was like, good, good. It, it, yeah, they're making the it, change. It makes sense. It right, makes sense. Right, I mean, right. you know, I, I have a friend that works, uh, that used to work at ILM uh, doing visual effects. And one of the projects that he worked on was, um, uh, what was that? Uh, uh, the zombie uh, walking dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's he worked on zombie stuff, but he also worked on weaponry. And there's some scenes that, uh, you know, characters are using long swords or knives and, um, you know, going into people and stuff like that. And he tells me that the knives were actually they were just the hilts. The, yeah. the, knives or the swords were not there. They were all digital, which makes it easier for an actor to kind of swing things around and nobody gets hurt. So right. It's, it's interesting. Movie magic is great. Yeah, I've heard of that happening. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a video about that. Yeah, I'm I'm really digging the the new era of movie magic. So, um, we had talked, we alluded to this earlier. This next bit of trivia. So originally, Julie, Julianne Moore's character had a bigger role because you would expect it to be a bigger role in the sure. film, even after she exposes him briefly. Kimball was to have sought out her uh, help. Well, Kimball was to sought her out for help and eventually fall for her. So there's supposed to be a love interest. These scenes were filmed and then deleted from the final cut. This is the reason why her name is still credited as one of the main stars in the picture. So this is supposed to be a love interest. But I think later on I put down or I may not have put it down. But they they took it out because it was like, well, we don't want to put a film where, you know, the man's wife just died and then he goes and start jumping the bones of this other woman like right, right. away right yeah. so so they cut all of that out so that's why she's not in the movie as as more more than what you think it is because her name is really high in the credit list so you would expect to see her more because her name sure. you see her name so soon but they was like well this this doesn't work. <laughs> and they, they took it yeah, I'm out. glad I'm glad they took it off because it would be a little distracting. I mean, they, they were getting into the uh the sleuthing and the the solve, you know, trying to figure out uh, you know, who killed who. It seemed a little cliche. Yeah. Uh, to have, like you said, you know, his wife just died and then he's fallen for somebody else already. Um, so I'm 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 glad they took it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad too. As I think this type of thinking is kind of a holdover. For like from like the the eighties movies, uh, in the eighties yeah. movies, it almost always had to be a sex scene, it's not even a love scene, right. but a sex yeah. scene between the hero and 
uh, his companion or a sure. follower or something like that. Yeah. And uh, there, there were some scenes like uh, in an early movie, the um, Commando. So they they did a sex scene for Commando. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Wei Dong Chong, and they realized it just didn't work. It just just no. wasn't working. And I'm going to put that all on Arnold Schwarzenegger, looking weird trying to do a sex <laughs> scene. So sure. it was like, uh, it weird. and then they took it out, and the movie's all better for it because not sure. every movie requires Needs. a love scene sure. or a sex scene or or something because it, like you said, it kind of messes up the pace sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we talked a, a little bit about this uh, scene in the um, in the sewer, the drain drop off. Um, according to producer Roy Huggins, Gerard's line in response to Richard Kimball's claim of innocence when he says, I didn't kill my wife, was originally written as that's not that isn't my problem, which is interesting. We talked a little bit about it. And at the request of Tommy Lee Jones, it was changed to I don't care, which is. <laughs> Again, I, I think it's brilliant. I think uh, I think it works a hell of a lot better than that's not my problem. Right. I, I think I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. It works so much better because uh, I think it focuses on you know his job is to bring well Gerard's job is to bring him in, not to try to litigate his case. So I, I really love that. So according to the DVD commentary, the scene in which the Chicago police interrogate Richard Kimball was improvised. Harrison Ford had no idea what questions he would be asked. That that was beautiful. Because the way that scene yeah. played out, it was it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And his his it's, acting really carries that scene. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, the fact that uh the the you know, both Harrison Ford obviously uh, and I can't remember um I used to live a couple of blocks from the hospital where he was born uh, here in Chicago, um, Swedish Covenant Hospital um, in the Andersonville neighborhood. But it's uh, it's 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 really great to uh, to kind of see that because uh, it, it was improvised so well. Yeah, absolutely. So Harris- uh, and, and yeah. And speaking of improvisation, it seems like both Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones improvised a lot of their scenes, which, you know, again, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's great when actors of this um, of this caliber yeah. kind of bring their own two cents to the role. Um, I know scripts are written, you know, for a reason as a blueprint, but, you know, sometimes things change on a whim. And uh, I'm glad that the director was able to, uh, you know, to be open to to that process, uh, yeah. especially with someone like Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Absolutely. Scripts run the gamut. There are scripts that are like from being strictly written, like there are some some directors that will allow absolutely any alterations to whatever script that they're working off of. So there's that. There's a very strict process. And this tends to happen, especially when, when you're dealing with like, if it's a redo of a play or, or something like that, oh, excuse me, uh, burping or something. And then there's the, the other end of the spectrum where there's like, with, there's almost no written script. Like, uh, I think it was, um, it was, uh, Beverly Hills cop. Uh, I had did some research in that movie for an episode a while back and a Beverly Hills cop, it was like they were literally writing that movie on the fly. It, there was a scene where one of the actors comes out with a roll of paper and it's supposed to symbolize like police paperwork, but it's actually the script because they, 
<laughs> it's a script that they kept just uh, basically writing as they were filming. So yeah, it runs the and gamut. that's and and that's understandable because it's uh, it's Eddie Murphy, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he yeah. works like that right on the fly with his with the comedy. Absolutely. <clears throat> so. Harrison Ford was the first actor to sign on to the film in September 1992 and personally agreed with Andrew Davis directing the film after seeing Under Siege from 1992 and being very impressed with the results. I, you know what? I was impressed, too. I was impressed with Under Siege. I love that movie. Is that the movie with, um, oh, what the hell is his name? The action. Um, yeah. Steven Seagal. Yes, Steven Seagal. I was yeah, trying to think yeah. of his name as you were saying it. As you were thinking yeah. of I was trying to think of his name because for some <laughs> reason it slipped my mind too. And it's yeah. weird for it to slip my mind because I've gone into a, a deep dive in Steven Seagal because of just how weird he is. Like <laughs> their right. videos. Yeah. Their videos of how actors are talking about he was bullying them. Their videos of him of them talking about how he used to punch um stunt doubles or, or stunt actors, like in a in a fight scene. They yeah. would, uh, they would, you know, Steven's <laughs> goal, he's supposed to be holding his punches or missing their faces and their guts, but he does, yeah. he just goes on full on, hits the, the stunt actors, which is not cool. And then, yeah, um, totally. and then they talk about how he, he how he keeps gaining weight. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah. Like he had to wear a, a girdle or something. And then there are some, there, for some scenes, for some stunts, he can't wear it, right? So his gut has to hang out. And then you get to see his gut in all of its glory. And so, all of its glory. S- surprised that I would forget that. But yeah, still, Under Siege was a fantastic movie. It had, yeah, too funny. Yeah, a lot of things that I wanted in that movie. And Tommy Lee Jones was in that one, too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there yeah. Go. He was, I think in that movie, he was playing a version of his character, Two-Face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we talked a little bit about, uh, how Tommy Lee Jones reportedly told, uh, Joey Pants, Joe Pantoliano, that, uh, it's not like anyone is going to win any awards for this film. Uh, but, uh, lo and behold, uh, the movie was eventually nominated for, uh, seven. That's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Seven Academy Awards, three Golden Globes with Jones himself, ironically, winning both Academy Award and Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for for The Fugitive. Uh, Harrison Ford was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Actor, but lost to uh, Tom Hanks in uh, Philadelphia for ni- in uh, 1993. Uh, another great movie. Uh, obviously, it was, uh, it was a tough call. Uh, Philadelphia obviously uh, has some, um, you know, uh, some important moments as well, but... Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny how uh, Tommy Lee Jones was like, eh, whatever. But, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he got some statues for it. Right, right. I think um, he was trying to tell Joe to kind of relax a little bit. Relax, don't worry <laughs> about it. It's, it'll be all yeah. right. We're not we're not going for the Oscars, and yet it. And see, I think this is what happens when you don't try too hard. <laughs> yeah, right. you just do the work, you enjoy the work, and then you're rewarded for your work. So up next, Harrison Ford shadow doctors at the university of chicago medical center to prepare for his role he said it allows you to move and act as if you're done things a hundred times before end quote so yeah yeah, and he does it well yeah you can definitely tell i mean like you said in that scene where he's kind of uh hiding himself and 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 kind of you know 
turning himself back into a doctor, but like incognito. I mean, there's all sorts of things, little motions that he did. Um, I think there was one point where he also kind of like grabs an ID from somewhere. Yeah, just like yeah. nonchalantly. I mean, um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, there's one scene in particular um, where he's in the, I guess he's near the OR and there's a scene where he's near a little boy on a, on a table and it's like whatever you call those rolling tables and and he looks at the doctor or the whatever that dude was and maybe it was a nurse no i think it was a doctor because the doctor wrote the order so the doctor is is doing his diagnosis or evaluation and um you can see Kimball's just like kind of shaking his head like no that's not how you do it and like while <laughs> Kimball is watching this guy I'm watching Kimball's like don't do it Kimball don't do it don't <laughs> right don't get involved it's not your problem <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> but he's still a doctor so he's like he's not when he's he sees that the other doctor's doing it wrong so he's yeah. like no I'm not gonna he, he couldn't let it go so that's when he yeah. goes and he he looks at the x-ray and then he rolls the kid over to the elevator and then he re-diagnoses him and takes him to a different floor so that the, the kid can have emergency surgery right, right. <laughs> so yeah I could I could see how uh shadowing doctors worked out for him yeah, doctor till the end. Yeah. Um yeah, so next uh next up Richard Jordan, actor Richard Jordan um who was originally cast as Dr. Nichols and actually that would have been a a very interesting um you know turn of events. Richard Jordan is a very uh classically trained actor, uh older actor than uh than Harrison Ford. But um, he they actually filmed some scenes with Harrison Ford be, be, before he became ill and had to drop out of the picture. These scenes had to be reshot with uh, Giron Crabe. Giron, I, I don't know how we're going to pronounce that one. <laughs> Giron Crabe. Crab. Uh, if you look closely at Crabbe's first scene, Ford's beard looks different because he had to regrow it for the reshoot. Uh, interesting stuff, man. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. And I also noted that I did not notice that his beard was different. So no, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's um, funny. You you would you would be surprised at how many uh scenes there are that uh that get to be reshot. I think there's a there's a an entire sequence in the first um uh alien movie that was reshot with one actor versus another actor when when that actor wasn't able to uh to be in the role but they couldn't reshoot that scene so they left that scene in there and if you really pay attention one of the characters uh one of the marines um in that first in that alien movie is is totally a, a completely different actor right um, right but again they they left it in there because they just couldn't uh they couldn't reshoot it and obviously at the time you know cgi effects face um replacement uh effects were not uh the way they are now so Funny stuff, man. Yeah, they 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 weren't the way they are now. They weren't there, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, up next, the film was shot in seventy three days and had one of the fastest turnaround post production schedules, as the film was pushed up to a release date in August nineteen ninety three. So yeah, it was it was a quick. It was that's a month and a few. A month, uh, a month and a couple of weeks. No, two, two and two, two and a half months. Two and a half, two and a yeah. half months. Yeah, Something that's like pretty that. quick. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and nowadays in modern movies, it's it's weird to see that a movie was released in August. Uh, you know, usually it's uh, summer blockbusters, May. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, movies coming out in uh, in Christmas. You got some movies that are not usually expected to perform well that are that come out in February. But um, an August release is uh, kind of uh, interesting. It, it would be uh, fun to find out what movies were actually released in the in the mega you know summer months that uh, the the studios wanted to release this uh, a little earlier. Right, right, right. More research is required. More research is required. <laughs> and speaking of research, uh, so this was the first American movie shown in Chinese theaters in over forty years. Uh, audiences accustomed to local movies were blown away when they saw it and it became a huge hit there. Um, that's, uh, that, that's awesome. I like Yeah. That. So, I mean, obviously they're satisfied with the local movies, but they saw an American movie for the first time and what the kind of storytelling, storytelling, the kind of storytelling that Americans are capable of. And they were like, holy, I've never seen nothing like this before in my life. What, what are they doing over there in America? That's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always cool to see, you know, movies that are not from where you're at. Cause uh, one of the things that, you know, my wife and I watch a lot of foreign movies and, you know, filmmaking and cinema really is kind of a, a universal language. Um, no matter where in the world it's made. So I think that's interesting. Right. As a matter of fact, I just watched a foreign movie. I hadn't seen one in a long time, but it, it was for a podcast from a friend of mine. And um, they, they're on a, the, the Movie Lovers Unite family of podcasts. So the movie we watched was, it's called Piggy in English. So Piggy is a horror movie about a girl who gets fat shamed and then, different events happen but yeah foreign films can be very interesting you get to see things from different perspective uh most of the foreign shows or films i see tend to be like asian so like um i can't remember it now uh squid game like that one but then everybody likes that one (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's nice you're right it's nice to see something from a different perspective one of the ones i wanted to see i don't know if you've seen it yet because it is a superhero film but it's uh I forgot what it's called, but it's a Russian superhero film. And so I've been looking forward to watching that. I think it's streaming somewhere. So, um, interesting. Yeah. I'll, when I, I'll watch it and I'll let you know what I think about that one. (laughs) I I, I tweet about it. So yeah, yeah, it was go check it out or no, stay away from it. It's a, it's a really bad copy of the Avengers. So, (laughs) um, so Harrison Ford and producers argued over whether Kimball should be sentenced to death or life in prison. They filmed the scene both ways. In the end, the producers went out. So I think this is what you alluded to, but I think this is like the court scene near the beginning. Mm, so yeah. it's like whether or not he should, and then they went with life in prison. No, they went with death. They Because I remember the judge says, you know, you sentenced to death. And that's kind of messed up. I think that <laughs> uh, first is messed up because it's not something you would expect. And the second thing is that... um it it kind of informed Kimball's decision to jump off the the waterfall oh, or the, yeah. the dam, and, and I thought that it really made sense for the scene at the dam because I, I mentioned earlier, like he's if he gets caught, he's already sentenced to death, so he could try it now and and hopefully survive and uh, check out his uh, 
and and see if he could figure out his wife or he can die in prison where he'll never know if he could find his wife. So um, there's that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so up to that date, it, uh, the fugitive was the only remake of a regular television series to be nominated for a best picture Academy award, uh, earlier winner, the movie Marty from 1955 had to go uh, way back than that was a remake of a television movie later nominee traffic 2000 love that one was adapted from a television miniseries and then 12, uh, angry men. From 1957, another nominee was also adapted from another play stage on live television. 12 Angry Men is a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's actually one of the movies that's on the list. And I had one more piece of trivia, but I think I left the page. Can't find it anymore. But um, it was... um, Oh, hold on. There I am. Did did you lose me? (laughs) I was... I was clicking through the web browsers and I was like, wait a minute, I shouldn't switch out my web browser. I might mess (laughs) up the stream. So anyways, um, so The Fugitive was, as I mentioned earlier, was based on um, an actual murder case. So, but unlike the murder case, the the doctor, Sam Shepard, he was put in jail for 20 years and um, where Richard Kimball was like running free, trying to prove his innocence. So um, this was, like I said, it was a famous case in the 1950s. That's what the TV show is based, is loosely based off of. So, um, so what I am guessing is that, uh, Roy Huggins decided to write, write the, well, created the show based on these events. So the thing about it is that it, um, the few, so that the guy, doctor, the doctor was, was in prison. The show was going on while the dude was in prison. And then he got his retrial. And then in the retrial, he was acquitted. So now, and then the ratings started dropping off because everybody who watches the show know that the show is based on this case. So now they, <laughs> the producers got to decide if they want to continue the show because, you know, they're, they're losing the viewers. So they decided to end the show. So they actually have an ending to the show where <laughs> Dr. Kimball it, you know, he finds the murderer and he's able to basically go on with his life. He's like uh, acquitted of the charges of murder and everything. Because I had wondered, because this was a TV show, if it mm-hmm. was canceled and nobody ever found out if Dr. Kimball was innocent or did they <laughs> okay. end it and and decided that Dr. Kimball was, in, was, was innocent and they ended yeah. the show because the guy <laughs> that the show was based on was innocent, right? And oh, was acquitted yeah. of the crime. So I was like, oh, well, that worked Spoilers. out. Spoilers. Right, right. Well, that worked <laughs> out well. So um, I- I'm glad they-, they was able to end the series on a good note. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's it for the trivia. And up next, we're going to see what the critics thought. All right. Now we get to, oh, my, my sound sounds weird. Okay, there we go. I pulled out my cord. We're going to see what the critics thought. Find out what the critics thought about The Fugitive. So the critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 96%. Audience score was 87%. On IMDb reviews, it has a 7.7 out of 10. What's interesting about this is that um, when whenever you do, like, uh, whenever I do the critics thoughts and and i gotta look up and see what the critics wrote down on rotten tomatoes 
it, it can be difficult to find the negative reviews of such a movie. Mm-hmm. Like if it's like, if it was like a 60% or 70% or 80%, it's pretty easy to find the negative reviews. But when, you, when you're dealing with something like 96%, 99%, right. it's hard sure. to find. You gotta, dude, you got to do some digging. Right. You got to do some digging. And then what, the the comments that they make they don't feel serious like <laughs> <laughs> so to start it off we have uh Dwayne Bierge from the Hollywood Reporter he wrote call something a train wreck and it's considered a put down not in this fast track no stops chase movie with a massive train wreck scene that's going to have the audiences scrambling for cover and he is correct I agree with him wholeheartedly. That is exactly what seemed to have happened. And then... Absolutely, yeah. Ralph Novak from People Magazine, he wrote, the film treats this profoundly preposterous plot as if it were a serious idea. Whoa. Now you're just being a spoiled sport, Ralph. (laughs) You're not not serious. It's it's a movie. We know that it's not supposed to be all that uh, believable, but, you know, it's... It's called suspension of disbelief, you know. Absolutely, I think Ralph is now working at a Radio Shack. No, he's probably working <laughs> at People Magazine, just churning out more weird churning opinions. Out more weird, opinions. yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, those, so so those were some of the uh, you know the, that was a questionable one, but uh, Stephen Ray from the Philadelphia Inquirer said that uh, this movie was thoroughly engaging edge of the seat entertainment. And like what you said earlier, I would say, yes, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it that is I I put that in there. Like Normally, I don't want to put something that's so, you know, succinct, so short, so to the point. But in this instance, it's so thoroughly encapsulate my feeling of this movie so yeah absolutely it's like yeah. you don't need to say more that's that's this movie that's it that's, that's actually, it that's definitely this movie yeah so we got uh the orlando sentinel jay boyar while there are actors in this film there isn't much room for acting hold on a second i think the academy has uh, an argument for you yeah i know uh, right the rapid editing and near absence of dialogue reduces the actors to action figures with colorful labels pasted on their forehead. I don't know what that means, but um, these action figures definitely acted their butt off because they, uh, they seven Academy Awards, three Golden Globes. Come on, Jay Boyar. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, not to mention uh, winner of Best Supporting Actor, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. So and, and this is somebody who... I don't think he understands the craft of acting, right? Sometimes <laughs> sometimes critics will write something just to be contrary to all the popular opinion. And sometimes right. I think some critics just don't understand. Like when you watch somebody in the quiet moments, like when they're not saying anything, and you look at like what you mentioned, their micro expressions, like when you can master the subtle or the micro expressions, that's yeah. one of the main differences between theater and film. Like with, theater you kind of have to be really expressive there's yeah. no chance for subtlety because you have to act for the audience in the cheap seats they got to see all of your expressions so absolutely if when you transition to television you have the close-ups so it allows an actor to be subtle and this is something that actors have to learn they have to learn to be small i think uh in in the film um ali will smith 
and the director, I think that was Michael Mann, they had to figure out how how Ali acts in the quiet moments. How, because when you see like interviews or a film of Ali, it's like he's he's being boisterous and bombastic. He's being loud. He's rhyming. Sure. He's like doing yeah. stuff. So what does Ali do when he's not on camera? What does he do when he's not doing stuff? And Michael Mann and Will Smith, they had to find that. And that's what got, had got me to realize, like I remember watching, a, I think it was a documentary or something of them talking about this. And it got me to realize that acting is much more than just rememorizing lines and delivering sure. lines or delivering lines yeah. in a certain way. It's it's how somebody acts in the quiet moments. Or or like another great example, we just did Jaws a couple of episodes ago. And in Jaws, there's the famous scene of uh, the whale hunter or the, the shark hunter. And he's talking about when he was uh, a person on, he was a, a seaman on the Indianapolis, the USS Indianapolis. And so he's describing that scene. And then you have um, the other actor, like both of the actors are in the frame. And I can't remember his name right now, but the other actor that's in the frame, it's just as entertaining looking at him reacting to the story sure, as it yeah. is watching the guy tell the story that it helps sell the story. So that's something that you got to look at and understand the actor's whole work. It's not just, or like you hear about stories of how actors are acting in a scene and the camera is not on them, but they're still acting as if the camera was on them because that's part of the job. So sure. And that's part of the professionalism. Of right. Acting. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, we're kind of on uh, a Chicago uh, kick right now because uh, Michael Mann is another Chicago director. Uh, he graduated from Amundsen High School, which is uh, my alma mater here in Chicago. So it's uh, kind of funny. Yes, yes, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Didn't, well, Chicago is, I think it's the third biggest city in the United States. And yes, then they three. also have a, a pretty robust theater scene, I think. And yeah. it's a, it's also a place where people, it's a great location for shooting. There, there are whole TV series, like what they're like four TV series that have Chicago in the name. Right. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. I, I yeah. guess all uh, the, all the Chicago PD, right, Chicago fire, right. Chicago hospital, whatever the hell that. Right. Name, right. But, uh, yeah. I think that's uh, maybe it's called Chicago ER. I don't even know what it's called, but it's, <laughs> it's so many, uh, it's just a, a great place for, um, for storytelling one of my favorite yeah. stories is uh it's called the dresden files it's about a magician or not a, he's not a magician he's a wizard he's a modern day wizard that kind of lives out in open and the and he operates in chicago so you get a lot of basically you get a lot of the feel of chicago when you read those stories and they briefly had a tv series hopefully they'll they'll bring that character back in a tv or a movie in some form but uh yeah, if you ever get a chance, uh, you could check out. It's called the Dresden Files. The, the series cool. is called the Dresden Files. So if you Excellent. if you like vampires and werewolves and and wizards, and you can you can check that out. Um, Excellent. So finally, the fugitive is as of this recording available on HBO Max, soon to be called Max. Have you heard the news that they're changing the name? Yes, I have. And, you know, since the 80s, I have uh, was looking forward to an all-max headroom network. So this is perfect. <laughs> well, I'm just glad they didn't change it to something like HBO Discovery because it's like it's kind of a long lane. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cumbersome. Why would you call your network that? So right. uh, or they could have called it HBOD. I would have I would have 
accepted that, although that would have also been kind of weird. But uh, HBO Max, they're, they're dropping HBO and um, Discovery and just sticking with Cinemax, I guess. So <laughs> that's it for today. Next week, we have a special return guest. Oh, no, they're not a return guest. They're the first-time guests. Uh, I feel like they're return guests because I've been on their podcast like a couple of sure. times. This will be the first <laughs> time I get to show up on their podcast. I had mentioned them earlier. They're the hosts of Not A Bomb Podcast, Brad and Troy. And we get to talk about a great movie, Rumble in the Bronx, starring Excellent. the aforementioned Jackie Chan. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Follow Please uh, follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or on Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast. And if you're on Mastodon at Backlick Cinema at MSTDN.party. Uh, have you sampled Mastodon yet? I have not. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I don't recommend it, but I will say that it it takes it takes a little bit more than getting on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget that you can contact us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. And, Ro, do you have any additional plugs that you want to put out there? No, not really. Just uh, thank you again, Zoe, for inviting me on here to talk about uh, the this wonderful Chicago-based movie uh, with one of my favorite actors, The Fugitive. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, really, uh, took a nice deep dive into the film and some of the actors, uh, some behind the scenes stuff, which is, uh, always a lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sticking. It's getting really late. So I'm glad you stayed for the whole time. <laughs> we started a little later than we had planned, but you, you stuck in there and I really appreciate it. I, and I know that you're so busy. You got so many shows and podcasts that you appear on. And I'm so grateful that you chose to appear on my podcast. I really appreciate it. And I enjoy Sheriff Scuttlebutt and, um, I enjoy the conversations that you have. You have different conversations about different aspects of science fiction. And I just, I just really love all that stuff. And thank you for bringing up Buck Rogers. I'm sure you saw that. <laughs> I bought the, the Buck Rogers DVD yes. set. Um, awesome. I was like, ah, look what you made me do. <laughs> so one That's last awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it is. So one last time, if you like the show, then please help us grow by sharing this podcast with your friends. And I know you've enjoyed our guest row. So please watch or listen to Scare Scuttlebutt on YouTube or wherever you listen to pods. Believe me, it matters. As always, I've been Zoe Richardson. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.